0: Let us all stand as we read God's Word this morning. Today's reading will be taken from the book of Proverbs. We're going to read chapter 5, verses 1 to 23. But today, just so that I don't lose anybody in the congregation, guess what you're going to be doing with me? Responsive reading. That's correct. So, and then... All of us will join and read uh, the last verse, which is verse 23, together. So I will start. Does everyone have Proverbs 5 open? Yes, yes, yes. Amen? Nice. All right, let's read. So uh, Proverbs chapter 5, verse 1 says, My son, attend unto my wisdom, and bow thine heir to my understanding. For the lips of a strange woman drop as an honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But her, hand is as a wormwood, a sword. her feet go down to death, her steps take hold on hell. How a like that, Hear me now, therefore, O ye children. And depart not from the words of my mouth. Lest thou give thine honor unto others, and thy years unto the cruel. And thou mourn at the last, when thy flesh and thy body are consumed. And have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to them that instructed me. I was evil in the midst of and Drink waters out of thine own cistern, and running waters out of thine own well. Let, thy be
1: the row, and the in
0: the Let them be only thine own. And not strangers with thee. Let, thee and with Let her be as a loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times, and be thou ravished always with her love. For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. And he pondereth all his goings. Verse 23 together. He shall die without instruction. And in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. May the Lord add his richest blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the understanding of his holy and inspired word. Amen.
2: Thank you. you may- I will say, and we're going to go to Proverbs chapter 5 this morning. Very challenging passage of scripture for all of us. And I want us as well, when we look at these passages, to apply them to ourselves. This passage, of course, is addressed to a son. And there's a specific need that this son has. But the real issue at stake in in the book of Proverbs, throughout the book of Proverbs, and even in this chapter, is that God wants us to live in wisdom and not foolishness. So look at the very last verse of Proverbs 5. Can we turn down this mic a little bit? I think this is too loud. It says in verse 23, the last verse, can you read it again with me? It says, and he shall die without instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. And that's really the issue of this chapter that we don't go astray into folly and into foolishness. Because for all of us, foolishness is bound naturally in our heart. And the only thing that can get that foolishness out is the correction. And the chastening of the Lord and sometimes our parents in our lives. And so that's the real issue at stake. There's a verse in the book of Proverbs as I preach today on this subject of living without regret. Live without regret. And if we live in foolishness, we're going to end up living with regret. That's the the subject of this passage of Scripture. And I'm going to apply it to everyone. Everyone. The Scripture says in another place, using this word, and here's the word we're looking at, the greatness of His folly, He shall go astray. I don't want to go astray. I don't want you to go astray. That's my, that's my goal today. That's my motive. That's my heart. We don't want to go astray. This word astray is literally being intoxicated. And it's used two other times in this chapter. We'll see them later. But when he says, through his folly, it's like he's intoxicated. People get intoxicated with their foolishness, and they go astray. Drunk. A drunken pathway. And you know what? How how does the world look at folly? What does that verse say? They see it as what? Many times, folly presents itself as what? Something joyful. Oh, man, you're going to have pleasure doing this. Folly is joy. If you don't have wisdom, if you don't have wisdom, you're going to say, oh wow, you've got to do this. as everybody else is, and it's fun. But it's foolishness many times. So, folly is joy to those who are empty, destitute of wisdom. But a man of understanding walks uprightly. So, that's what we want to talk about avoiding this way of folly because folly leads to a temporary joy but ultimately regret so I'm preaching to you today on living without regret let's pray father please work now in this moment of time and help us to attune our hearts and minds to the word of god and lord keep us from folly from going astray in jesus name amen okay now where will we be where would new york city be without these right Some of you, good to see you, brother. Some of you even work with these things called the the subway, the trains. Where would New York City be without the subway system? But subway cars must run on the track that it was designed to run on. Vital sources of transportation when they stay true to their course. But derailments are dangerous and oftentimes deadly. So we don't want to go off track. In fact, this, this is a old school. This is like an old derailment in New York City. I found this picture back in 1997. And the other picture is literally a train, an Amtrak train, left Penn Station here, going down south, switched tracks wrongfully. It switched tracks and plowed into a parked, a, a train that was just sitting there. Got off the right, it got off its track. And there's a lot of people who are switching to the wrong track today. Don't switch to the wrong track. Stay on track for Jesus Christ or you're going to have regret. So life is awesome. Life is a joy. Life is a gift from God. I wake up on a day like this, literally, I I was like, what a beautiful day! And I walked out, I saw my front yard, I did a little work on my front yard, I put the peat moss on, I put the fertilizer and the seed around, I was so excited, I hope I didn't do it too early, you know, but it was like 60 degrees, and I woke up this morning and I see the grass is already growing up, not not the grass that I planted, but the old grass is growing up through the peat moss, oh, I, I just made me, I was like, this is beautiful, and the trees are budding, and the daffodils are blooming already, and my little garden in Queens, my little patch of dirt that I have out there, and I, I, I feel like Adam back in the garden, you know? It's a bl- Life is awesome! But if you get off track, life is dangerous, and it can be deadly. And many of you have gotten off the right track, and maybe you want to get back, on track, do things differently. Maybe you regret choices you've made yesterday or last month or last year. and Or maybe you didn't take advantage of certain opportunities. And all of us have regrets. But we don't want to live with those regrets. And we don't want to make decisions ahead that will give us more regret. Now this chapter emphasizes specifically A father admonishing his son to avoid adultery. To avoid the adulterous woman. And to beware of the tempting power and seduction, the words of the adulterous woman. And later on, the beauty of the adulterous woman. And then the father challenges his son toward the beauty of marital fidelity to marriage, God's institution. But I want us to remember this, that while this is the the key point that we read about in Proverbs chapter 5, and the young man could be tempted by the adulterous woman, it's not the only way that he could be tempted. And it's not the only way we could be tempted. The deeper issue at stake in Proverbs chapter 5 as well is that as it says in that last verse that we read, that in the greatness of His folly, He shall go astray. And there are many ways that this could happen. That the, the greater issue is that you would die without instruction. You know what that word instruction means in other places? The chastening. The correction of the Lord. You know what would be a terrible thing? To die in sin and have no conviction from God that that's wrong. That's an awful thing. So that's what he's. Trying to challenge, that's a bigger issue. Now there's one key area for this son he needs to pay attention to, but I'm saying to you today, it's not the only issue. Because there's actually a puzzling thing about the opening chapters of Proverbs, these opening chapters, and then what we call the sentence Proverbs later on in chapter 10 that in these opening chapters in Proverbs... Now, you're going to have to listen to me today a little bit. I hope I don't bore you. I'll put you to sleep. But in these opening chapters in Proverbs, there's two and a half chapters of basically the son being warned against an adulterous woman. Two and a half chapters. This is the first chapter. Half of chapter 6 and half of chapter 7. So it's coming up, and we're going to go through it. Now, I don't want you to think, and here's the reason I'm saying this. Don't think, well, I'm not a ma- young man, so I'm not attempted by an adulterous woman, so this isn't for me. Don't think that. Because this is for us. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable. So how is this profitable to somebody like myself? I'm not a young man anymore, and I'm married. It's profitable for me. Is it profitable for a young woman? Yes, it's profitable for it. It's profitable for all of us. Why? Why? Because these opening chapters speak, speak much about the strange woman. But then in those sentence Proverbs from chapter 10 on, the strange woman is hardly even mentioned. She is mentioned a few times, but hardly even mentioned. But what is mentioned over and over and over again is the comparison of foolishness versus wisdom. So I'm saying to you, that's really the issue here. The point of this chapter is it specifically warns against adultery, but it warns us against folly in general, and how it relates to all of us is that this world is like the adulterous woman who tempts us to commit a spiritual adultery against God. Every one of us are tempted, if you will, by the seductive power of this world. And so it relates to all of us. It says in the book of James, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So, this world is like this adulterous woman tempting us to commit a spiritual adultery against God. We cannot have other idols and be faithful to God, right? That's, if we have other idols and we love this world, what are we doing? We're committing spiritual adultery. Do you, are you a spiritual adulterer against God? See, sin is a form of spiritual adultery. So I want to make the broader application of this passage that will relate to all of us. Not only are young men tempted in this world, We are all tempted in this world. There are smooth, talking, tempting voices throughout this world that come upon all of us. This passage is addressed to sons. But I believe daughters are also tempted. This passage relates to older men or younger, older women, because we're tempted also. So all of us can look at this chapter in a way. While being faithful to its primary meaning, seeing the application for all of us. Does that make sense? So don't think that these chapters are just for a young man. And also, don't read these chapters and think, man, God's really being hard on women here. You know, it's like the strange women. (laughs) What about the man? (laughs) He calls the woman a strange woman. In chapter 5, in verse 3, and chapter 6 and 7. Don't think that women are to blame for sexual sins. That's not the point of this either. Because remember, yeah, while there is a strange woman in this passage, what else is in this passage? It takes two to tango. There's a foolish man. And it's not just strange women that are tempting young men to sin. There's an awful lot of smooth-talking men who are seeking to... Tempt women as well. So, ladies, I have good news for you. God's not picking on you <laughs> when He talks about the strange women. And remember this, too. Wisdom is personified throughout the book of Proverbs as a, as a woman. So, God, God is, it's not like God is being demeaning toward women that there's this emphasis upon a strange woman. So let's look at this passage of Scripture this morning. And I want us to see how to keep from living a life of regret. And we've got to continually practice a number of principles. And it's going to require us to do really what it says in verse 1. My son, attend unto my wisdom and bow thine ear to mine understanding. And the first point here I want us to see from this. If we're going to keep from living a life of regret is we've got to have a relationship with God. Not just out, out, outward, where I put on a nice suit, and I can appear to you as a nice Christian. I've got to have a relationship with God that begins internally, in my heart. And that's what he says in the first two verses here. So, let's talk about this from just the first two verses, where he says, my son... Attend unto my wisdom. Bow thine ear. That means stretch out your ear. And I'm going to ask you to stretch your ear out and listen today. Because that's what the writer says. Attend. Listen carefully. Incline yourself. Bow your ear. Stretch it out. Have good listening skills. I beg of you today. It's not easy to listen. It's easy to zone out. It's easy to go somewhere else while you're sitting here. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to beg you to do what he says here. Bow thine ear to my understanding. Because we need to have a relationship with God in our hearts. And we need to guard that relationship and live it out. Now, look at that verse, verse 1 right there. And here's something we see in the Bible a lot. We see a repetition. Okay, look at that verse again. My son, attend unto my wisdom. Bow thine ear to my understanding. Go back to chapter 4, and we're going to do a lot of, we're going to compare. So if you have your Bible, can you follow along with me? Go to back to chapter 4, look at verse 20. And here, it's almost like he says the exact same thing. He says, my son, attend unto my words, incline thine ear to my sayings. And the word attend and incline, the word incline is, uh, it's, a, it's the same two words that he used in the Hebrew in verse 1. In other words, it's a repetition. But don't glide over the repetitions and say, oh, I already read that. Why does God repeat Himself in the Bible? That's right. That's what we need to hear again. (laughs) If it's repeated, that's what we need to hear again. So it's important. So here's this repetition. And the repetition gets to our relationship with God because verse 2 says, He says that thou mayest regard discretion and that thy lips may keep knowledge. Now, I just want you to look at those two words for a moment. Regard and keep. What's the second part after it says re? What's the next word? Guard. (laughs) So that's really what the word means. It means to guard. And then keep. You know what keep means? To guard. He's really using two synonyms that mean the same thing. That is, guard your heart. And we talked about that last week. And if you actually go back up, can you go back up with me to verse number 21 of chapter 4. Look at 21. He says, let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them. This is the word of God. Keep them. Proverbs 4, 21. Where? In the midst of your heart. Keep the Word of God in your heart. And now in chapter 5, he says that you may guard that discretion. Discretion are the, is the purposes of God for your life. Guard. Put a fence around it. Keep God's purposes dear in your heart. And then he says that your lips may keep knowledge. Guard your lips with knowledge. Now, what does that mean? When he says that to, that your lips may keep knowledge. Not just that we talk a good talk. But when you read that verse, that your lips may keep knowledge, you have to think of it Joshua 1.8 way. So read that verse with me right here. It says what? shall not depart out of thy mouth. So keep your lips. Why? So here he says, don't let the Word of God depart out of your mouth, because where is the Word of God? But thou shalt meditate therein, I'm sorry, I asked you to read the verse and I cut you off. Please forgive me for interrupting you. Okay, let's read the verse and I won't interrupt you, please. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, then thou shalt have good success. So that it's on the lips... And it's in the mouth, it's because it's being meditated upon and guarded in the heart. That's why with this point, I'm making this point, that we need to internalize our relationship with God. His Word must be in our mouth. And He says, keep His Word and the knowledge of Him. Our personal relationship with Him. The word knowledge speaks of our intimate relationship with God. Keep our intimate relationship with God guarded in our heart. It is the best part of our life to walk with God. It is the best part of our life to be able to talk to God in prayer. It is the best part of our life to be able to read the Word of God. Jesus said, Mary had chosen the best part. When she sat where? At the feet of Jesus. best part. So that's what he's saying. Guard. That your lips may keep knowledge because the Word of God and the knowledge of the Lord and His relationship with you, it's deeply in your heart and you're meditating on it and you're obeying. And then through that, according to that verse, what's the result of all this? When you have this kind of intimate walk with God that you're keeping and guarding and you're not letting anything get in the way of your fellowship with God, you will have what was the last two words saying? Good success. You want that? Well, see, you see, that's what we want. We don't necessarily want it the way God says we got to do it to get there. But to get to where God says good success, that's what we got to do. Guard our heart. So that's the first thing the Father tells the Son. The second thing is, ponder the path of life. Not just internalize your relationship with God, but Ponder the path of your life because basically what happens in verses 3 down through verse 6 is that satan tempts man and when satan tempts it's very difficult for us how long does this temptation have to come upon your heart before you give in 5 minutes <laughs> for jesus how long was he tempted For 40 days, and he never gave in. Wow, we need to be like Jesus. We have, we have his spirit. Satan's temptations offer sweet pleasures. Satan tempts us and makes us feel that if we don't commit that sin, we're gonna miss out. We're gonna be missing out. So Satan is gonna, Satan deceives us. He, just like he did in the Garden of Eden, he wants us to think. Satan wants us to think. God is holding back on you. God is a, God is even afraid. If you do that, you won't need him anymore. You'll be like him. So you won't even need God anymore. So God is holding back on you. Satan is a liar. He's a deceiver. He's a murderer. And his temptations, though, can come with great sweetness and very smooth and slick, just like this woman. This woman, this strange woman is really just an illustration of how temptation comes to all of us in this life. Smooth, deadly, deceptive words that flatter us and move us off the path of life. Satan tempts you not to hate God. Oh, you know a person who commits that sin, I don't hate God. No, you know what though? You've forgotten all about Him. Satan doesn't have to tempt you to hate God. He could just tempt you to forget Him. And He'll win. Don't forget Him. Don't forget what pathway you're on. You're on the pathway. And you can't just switch tracks. If you're not paying attention, all of a sudden, vroom, you just switch tracks. you gotta, you got to ponder. Look what he says. Lest you ponder the path of life. And as I read this, in my King James Bible anyway, it's more clear. Some of the other translations kind of go off on this one verse. But anyway, verse 6 says, Lest thou shouldst ponder the path of life. In other words... Verse three: the lips of the strange woman dropping as a honeycomb, sweet. Her mouth is smoother than oil; she's slick. Sounds good, like a, like the snake oil salesman. Her end, though, her end, the result is what? It's bitter. It's it's death. It's it's going to cut you to pieces. It's going to it's a two edged sword, not meant to heal, but only to hurt. Her feet go down to death. You follow her pathway and you're heading to where? You follow the pathway of adultery and sexual immorality. And that's what this world pumps at us constantly. You're heading to hell. Living that way of life. That's what it says. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. And this is a temptation temptation comes along Oh, you're so smart you're so intelligent everyone's doing it you're only going to do it once you don't have to do it ever again and you're strong enough you're you're strong to just do it once that's Satan's temptation that you're not going to get hooked into an addiction that's a lie you don't just have one cigarette by the way And you don't just commit adultery once, and you don't just abuse your wife once, and you don't just do child pornography once, and you don't just abuse a a child once. Those who've done it once have often done it many, many, many times. This is a pathway you don't want to get on. Oh, but no one will know. You know what? You cannot commit adultery and not ultimately result in other people knowing. It's a sin you can commit in the dark, like it says here in Job 24, the eye also of the adulterer. They wait for the night, saying, no eye shall see me. He hides his face. He thinks he's going to get away with it. But that's, they're believing the, what they call, what I call the Las Vegas lie. You've, you've heard the lie of Las Vegas. Las Vegas gets people to go there saying, what you do here stays here. You can come here, you can do whatever you want, live however you want, get drunk, cheat on your wife, every, whatever you want to do, and what you do in Las Vegas stays here. Ask Tiger Woods how that worked out. All of this is Satan's temptation to keep us from pondering what? Lest you should ponder the path of life. See, you're in a pathway of life. Don't derail from that pathway. It'll be a catastrophe for you. When that train goes off the rails, that's danger time. And when we go off the path of life into this pathway of death, it's catastrophe time. And, and it's incredible how God describes her pathway. It says in verse 6, Her ways are movable. That you cannot know them. You know what that means? That the ways of temptation, the ways of this world, aren't fixed. They're not on a foundation. What the world says is okay today, for example. I mean... 30 years ago, they said it wasn't okay. But they've changed. How come? Because they don't have a foundation. They don't have a a, a foundation of truth. See, the truth doesn't change. But the ways of temptation are movable. They're not fixed by truth. They change with culture. And so the idea of her ways are movable. It leads to a roaming. A roaming in life. A wandering of aimless wandering Without any real direction. Imagine a train off its track and just careening down a hillside. It's, not going, it's just going, but it's not going the right place. That's what he's saying. That's where this strange woman, that's where temptation leads. People get deceived by sweet, smooth, de- deceptive words. They end up on the wrong track. They roam through life. They're, they start regretting their decisions. So we need to turn from the strange woman's words that drop as a honeycomb and turn to God's word that is truly sweeter than the honey. Sweeter than the honeycomb. The third thing, and this is really the the guts of this passage, and we're going to try to rifle through some of these things in this third point, is we must wake up to the payday of sin. This young man is going to have regrets. Because his father taught him. And according to verse, if we can skip down with me to verse 12 and 13. And I want you to notice for a moment just what he says there. In verse 12 and 13. Where he says, How have I hated instruction? You know, you know what hate means? It means hate. You know what hate means. <laughs> hate means you despise it and and he's saying i lived i made a decision to totally hate and despise god's instruction that was given to me through my father and the word instruction is an important word in the book of proverbs Because this is key to all of Proverbs, really. If you go back, go back to chapter 1. Notice this word instruction in verse 12. How have I hated instruction? And and then down even in verse 13. And have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to them that instructed me. Why is instruction so important? Go back to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 2. What does he say in Proverbs chapter 1? Can you turn there with me and read it? What does it say? The, The whole purpose of Proverbs is to know wisdom and Instruction. You're never gonna learn wisdom without instruction. And the and the young man says, I hated instruction. So guess what he didn't learn? Wisdom. What did he choose? Foolishness and folly. And he says, Oh man, I should have listened. I'm just a hard head. I'm a blockhead, basically. Wisdom goes with instruction. Verse number three to receive the instruction of wisdom. Verse 7, I'm in Proverbs 1. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 1, verse 7. But what does the end of Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 say? Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now those, as I'm studying Proverbs, time and time, almost every, every, well every chapter that I study, it goes back to these first seven verses. These are the introductory foundational verses of Proverbs. And the foundation is the fear of the Lord, which is that awesome reverence we have toward God that changes us from the inside out. The fear of the Lord relates to our relationship. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What is wisdom? That skillful application of what I know about God and then walk it out, live it out, live out my relationship with God in actual daily life of honesty and integrity and holiness. So we need to have that fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then look in chapter 3. Here's this word instruction again, chapter 3, and verse number 11. He says in chapter 3:11, "My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord; neither be weary of his correction that has to do with instruction it's the same word used in those in that passage the lord loveth the one whom he corrects we need to wake up to the payday these verses get to the heart of regret when he cries out i've hated instruction and my heart, he even says, look, look at this in verse 12. What, a, what an admission though. This is a confession. Perhaps it's a confession that's leading him to repentance. And repentance is always possible. And he says, he says my heart despised reproof, hated, despised the reproof, the chastening, the correction of the Lord. And so, these two words in chapter 5, And verse 12, you see those two words? How have I hated instruction and despised reproof? They're the same two words in chapter 3, verse 11. My son despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. So this young man did exactly what he wasn't supposed to do. He despised it and he hated it. And so what did it cause? What does it cause? What's the payday of sin? So here's how you live with regret. If you want to live live on this path of foolishness, here's what you're going to get. You're going to get a loss of honor, verse 9. Okay, so go back to chapter 5. These verses get to the heart of regret. And if you walk in the pathway of this woman and living for the adultery of this world, he says... You will give your honor to others. You know what's really—it's not so important in our culture, but it's very important in in Asian cultures, even to the day, is honor, and not shame. It's shame, honor, uh, shame, honor are great motivations for many, and that's so we see that come out in the Proverbs. He says, "So if you live in adultery, you're going to get to yourself shame." Because when your sin is exposed, you're going to lose respect. So when he says here, lest you give your honor to others. When, when we go down that pathway, we are putting our name and, and the honor of our life in someone else's hand. For when they expose us, I've lost honor. I don't want to, I don't want them to go there. And sexual sin, more than any sin, brings public wounds, shame, dishonor. Not only that, it's, you'll lose your time. Time is, you know what your life is? What is life? It's a little bit of time. That's all we have. We have a little time. Don't use your time in sin. Because if you do, you're wasting your time doing the sin, but then you know what's going to happen? You're going to spend more time cleaning up the mess. It's going to take a lot of time to clean up. You know what I mean, right? How many outraged husbands are there because the wife betrayed him? How many outraged wives are there because of an adulterous husband who have felt that betrayal? How many children are there who have felt that loss? And then you give away your years and your time trying to make it up. Trying to make it right. When you live in sin, you know what you do? You give up in a lot of ways how you can spend your time. You might have to spend your time going to court. You might have to spend your time going to court to get uh, time so that you could see your children. You know, children's, children's visitation rights. You've got to go to court because your ex has taken you to court for alimony payments. So you lose your time. You lose your years. It says you give your years over to other people and they're going to treat you. This world is a cruel place. It says you're going to give your years to the cruel. They're not going to care about you. You betrayed them, you see. Don't go down that pathway. I'm trying to say don't go down that pathway. Don't live with this regret. And then you're going to lose your wealth. It kind of goes together. When you give away your time, time is what? Time is money, right? You give your years to the cruel, and then strangers are going to be filled with your wealth. How many men have come to me over the years with, with such frustration that they have to take so much of their money for alimony payments... Or for uh, child payments, for child support. And they don't even really, and sometimes the one they give the money to for child support, it's not even used for the children in there. So there's so much frustration with all that, right? But that's what he says strangers will be filled with your wealth. You're gonna lose your wealth when you go down this path. And then he says you're gonna lose your strength because it says in verse 10, your labors are gonna be in the house of a, of a stranger. Your labor, your work is with your strength. You use your strength to labor, right? Uh, so that's what I'm saying. You're gonna give your strength, the strength of your work. You're gonna, you're gonna start working for other people. <laughs> Man, I, I've, I've known men over the years that have children through a previous marriage or out of wedlock, and they're rightfully trying to financially support the raising of their children, and that's the right thing to do. But the amount of money sometimes demanded, it's crushing. It's, it's crushing for these men that I've, that I've known, and I feel bad for them, but they made decisions. They made those decisions, and now they have to give the strength of their life to work, to help bring up their kids. So he says, your labors are going to be in the house of a stranger. And then he says in verse 11, and you're going to mourn at the last when your flesh and your body are consumed. Now, I've often taken this to speak how sexual sin does bring about the destruction of the flesh. And that's, that's obvious. There are many, many uh, sexually transmitted diseases. Not just one or two. I mean, there's like a hundred at least, sexually transmitted diseases that can consume your body and make you sick one way or the other. And of course, we all know a few of them, like HIV and things of that nature. But there are many. And I've often looked at that in this way, but it also speaks of at the end of our days, because when He says, and you mourn at the last, that is the outcome of your life, you will have a bitter end, if you will. You will not have a satisfying finish to your life when you go off the off the right track onto the wrong track and live in regret. I don't like that expression. It's really well used, you know. People say it. Sometimes you hear it constantly. At the end of the day, you've heard that, right? At the end of the day, you know. So, and I don't think I've ever said that when I'm preaching, because I try to I try to stay away from that cliche for some whatever reason I can't tell you. But here, here's what, that's what he's saying here. He says, and you mourn at the end of your day. You know, when your days are done. And our days are going to be done sometime soon. And, and so how do you want to finish life? We don't want to finish mourning with our flesh. Or our, when our flesh is consumed and, and done with strength, we don't want to be groaning and moaning We want to have a satisfying finish. Don't you want to have a satisfying finish to life? It's through God's Word. Wisdom. Walk in wisdom. Jesus Christ is this wisdom I'm talking about today, dear friends. This wisdom is in Jesus Christ. As we trust Him as our Savior. As we repent of our sin and walk with Him. So then it leads to public shame. Then he for he says, I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation and assembly. You know what that means, verse 14? I was, I was and, and it seems that he had gotten right to the point of maybe falling, maybe he he didn't. He woke up and he got back on track. But he says, I I almost fell. And then I would have had to deal with the community. So when he talks about here the congregation and the assembly, we, we all live in a community of church, family, your work community, whatever community that, that, that there is. But when you are found out in this particular sin that you thought no one would ever find out, but they have, it, it, it has shock waves throughout the community that you've been involved with. And we see this even recently. CNN, the head of CNN, had to resign because of a... Of a Adulterous affair with another co-worker. And we've seen it in our governor had to resign because of allegations. So th- this is still very much in play. And we see it in pastors so right here in our ABF today. Somebody brought out that the pastor, this man who started the whole Hillsong movement, which is really morally corrupt, I will just say. From top to bottom, the, the guy who started the Hillsong church. And there's people in line to go to Hillsong. And you know, people from our church when we met over at 25th Street used to go. They had a they have services all day long. It's like a rolling rock and roll concert. That's what it is. The the former pastor at Hillsong he had to retire. He had to he was forced to resign because of of adultery. And I'm not saying these things don't happen in churches like ours because they do. But I'm saying it's it's endemic in like Hillsong because now the the head the guy who started it Brian Houston he was. He he was out. He was drinking and, and also doing drugs, and then went into a hotel room with a with a woman that wasn't even his wife, and he can't remember whether he had sexual immorality with her. Can't remember. What a mess of a world we're living in, dear friends. It brings shame. You don't want that shame, and the last thing is it brings captivity. This is a very interesting verse. I'm going to skip down to verse 22. But verse 22 says, His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself, and he shall behold him with the cords of his sins. So I summarize it right there pretty well. But he's personifying sin. And he's saying this, Mr. Sin is going to punish you. Mr. Sin is self-punishing. When you live in this sin, he says, His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself iniquity is being personified even as a man. And Mr. Sin will punish you and He will take His own victims and He will hold them captives with cords. He will tie them up. He will tie them in a, in a tight knot. Sin enslaves. Jesus said, whosoever committed sin is the what? The slave to sin. Thank God Jesus Christ came to set us free. So that's the way of regret right there, beloved. Captivity. Public shame, loss of honor, loss of time, loss of wealth, loss of strength. loss. I mean, that's like, oh my, I wish I had listened to my many teachers. I wish I listened to them. That's why he says, bow your ear, stretch it out. Lastly, embrace God's satisfying way. So the overall contrast of this chapter is between the harlot's deceptive honey that turns to bitterness and the wife's waters that stay sweet. Will you be lost in folly or lost in love? So now, just follow this. I'm going to read off the screen for a moment to summarize this. That way I'll keep on track. The imagery of wells and flowing waters in this passage refers to the satisfaction of marital love. And what the writer to me is saying is, when you get married, you, in a sense, put a sign up On your forehead and on your life and with your lips and how you carry yourself. I'm not for sale. I'm not looking around. I've got the best. I made my choice and I made the right choice. My wife. And I'm going to rejoice with the wife of my youth. And he uses this imagery of, well, I counted at least six different Images used. He talks about cisterns, running waters, wells, springs, streams, and fountains. Read it with me. In verse 15, he says, "...Drink waters out of thine own cistern, running waters out of thine own well. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad, rivers of waters in the streets. Let them be only thine own and not strangers with thee. Let thy fountain be blessed. Rejoice with the wife of thy youth." And then he says in verse 19, let her be like, a, like a, a loving hind and pleasant rose, so tender and delicate that you love and you treat her with tenderness and respect and care. And he says, be satisfied with her at all times. And notice that verse word in verse 19 at the end. He says, be thou... Verse 19, what does it say? Be thou what? Ravished with her love. You know what the word ravished is? Drunk. I can get drunk. On my wife. Amen. (laughs) Now, he's talking here using this imagery of wells and fountains and springs and cisterns to talk about the satisfaction. And now when he says this again, let me emphasize this. He says in verse 16, let thy fountains be dispersed abroad and rivers of waters in the streets. Of course, the, the sexual relationship of a husband and a wife is totally private. Don't talk about that with your buddies at work. Don't talk about that with anyone. That's between you and your wife and God. And God says the marriage bed is undefiled. You should not talk to anyone about your sexual relationship with your wife unless you go to unless you need counsel and then you get counsel where it's in confidence and confidential. But what he's saying here when he says, let your fountains be dispersed abroad. The rivers. I think there he's just talking about the love you have with your wife. Let that love that you have for your wife. let Let your friends know you love your wife. Let other women on your job site know, I love my wife. You ladies, you let the people you work around. I love my husband. I respect my husband. I thank God. Let that come out of your mouth. So that they know, you're not looking around. Let, those, let your love in that way be out on the streets. That's how I take that. Be ravished. So, again, remember when I said the last word of this chapter is intoxicated? The world is intoxicated with folly. He says here, you be intoxicated with your wife. But, there's an application again. So, if you're not married, I know I just lost you. Come back, come back, come back. You single people, okay. I love you too. Amen, God loves you. Listen, be ravished with Jesus Christ because the application here is that these words are used of our God and our salvation in Jesus Christ. And our love and loyalty to Jesus Christ as well should overflow out onto the streets. Other people should know who you stand for. They should know you're not for sale to the idols of this world. You're not going to go and and, and snort cocaine with them on Friday night at the club. You're not going to go and and have a a swingers night. We're just going to go and look to pick somebody up because you're single. And no one else will know. And everybody else is doing it. No. Let your love for Jesus Christ be like rivers of water in the community of your life life and here's verses therefore with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation so there are verses that talk these same words used to talk about marriage love are used to talk about our salvation draw water out of the wells of salvation and read Jeremiah 2 13 for my people have committed to evils they have forsaken me the fountain of living waters. They've gotten off the right track. And He says, and they've hewed them out cistern, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Let's get back on the right track. Let us love the Lord Jesus Christ supremely. Let our salvation flow out of our hearts. Because Jesus said, if any man thirsts, come unto Me and Drink. Out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. Let the rivers of living water flow out of your heart and let other people see it because you're not holding with the cords of your sins as it says in verse 22. You're not held captive by your sin, but you're held captive in the palm of the hand of Jesus Christ who redeemed you with His precious blood, who rose again from the dead, who says, come unto Me and I will give you life. Come unto Me, I will give you rest. Let's stand together as we pray. Thank you for your wonderful attention today. Not for sale. Husbands, wives, let your love and loyalty to your spouse be known. Talk well of your spouse to others, praise them to their face. Give praise to your spouse. Delight in him or her. Delight in them. Appreciate them. Respect and love. Approve of them. And speak well of them to others. Don't slander them. Put them down. People will think, oh, they're not happy. You're leaving... You're leaving yourself open for attack and temptation. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, be submissive to your own husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as Jesus submitted Himself to His Father and suffered for us on the cross. And then if we're single, dear single folks, you have a great challenge to be holy and to be pure. You might be saying, well, what do I do with my sexual desires? Get married. That's what God says. Dear friends, pray about that. If you have sexual needs that you feel they're not being satisfied, marriage is the place in which those needs and desires are fulfilled. That's what the Scripture says. We cannot go outside the Scripture on this. May God help us. We're living in a, in a perverse culture that's teaching so, many wrong track, so much wrong track living. God, help us, Lord. Give us Your wisdom. Give us Your love. May out of our belly flow those rivers of living water today, O oh Lord. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, how many would say, Pastor Matt, I've gotten off the right track? Pray for me. I'm being held captive by a sin. Pray for me. I don't want to be held captive by this sin. I don't want to live in regret. Pray for me. Does anyone need special prayer today? Put your hand up to the Lord. Could I could pray for you? Just put it up. God bless you. Anyone else? Say, yes, Pastor, pray for me. I need to be holy as God is holy. I don't want to live with regrets. Have me say, yes, Pastor, I do have regrets in my life. And I've lost some honor. I've experienced shame. I've experienced loss of wealth. A loss of my time. But I, I'm listening today. I'm listening now. Praise God. You know, God allows you turns, as we've said. Repent. And you won't live with regret. Turn to Jesus. You can get back on track. I don't want to leave you with discouragement. I'll leave you with hope. I'll leave you with encouragement. You can get back on track. Live for Jesus with all your heart. He can forgive you. He makes you a new person. He he puts all your sins behind His back in the deepest sea, under the blood. He remembers them no more. He gives us a new life and you become new in Jesus Christ. Come to Jesus if you've not been saved. Father, please work in our lives. Thank you, God. Take our lives now, Lord, and may we be fully consecrated to you. In Jesus' name, amen.